Hello and welcome to Start the Beat with Sykes. My name is Sykes and this is my podcast. Before we get started, I just wanted to take a quick moment to thank everyone who checked out the last episode. If you're one of those people, I hope you enjoyed the conversation and thanks so much for coming back. But for those of you out there who are new to the show, welcome. Feel free to make yourselves at home. And as always, there's beer and soda in the fridge. Cheers, my friend. Back at you, man. Cheers. How you doing? Doing well. How are you? I'm all right. You know, all things considered, just trying to get all of these knobs and beeps and boops and video things to work. Just trying my best. For those of you out there that do not know my guest, I am sitting here today with the one and only Tim Vitulo. Make some noise for the internet. For those of you that don't know Tim, you are a singer and songwriter living in our good old city of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Why don't you tell the people a little bit about your backstory and like, you know, what it is exactly that you do? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you're right. I'm a singer, songwriter, uh, guitar player, live in the greatest city in the world, Pittsburgh, PA. Um, recently have been focusing on uh, my solo project, uh, you know, Tim Vitulo, Tim Vitulo Band. Um, you know, after spending a lot of time kind of playing in bar bands and cover bands and being a guitarist for hire, um, you know, probably about five, six years ago, kind of bit the bug and finally said, hey, it's time to time to give this a try. Start writing my own songs and, and singing them and, and uh, doing my own thing and haven't looked back since. Yeah, dude, it's, you know, it's really scary, I think, whenever you decide to take the jump from, you know, like playing in a band and being with other people to like, you know, like really, you know, doing something that is your own thing and then also putting your name on it. You know, that's like a, a bold move, but a classic move. Many, many singer songwriters have done that over the years. And I'm really curious about like, you know, just kind of the, the starting the, the, the groundwork that made Tim Vitulo, Tim Vitulo. Yeah, what was like, you absolutely. know, some, some of the stuff growing up that, you know, blew your brain open and made you think like, wow, music is cool. <laughs> uh, yeah. So it, it was really funny. Um, you know, I started when I was really young, uh, like taking piano lessons and like played in the school band and, and played different instruments with that. And, you know, I mean, I, I was never a very athletic person. So, you know, sports never really took up a lot of my time. And, and as my friends kind of got more into sports, I definitely was always feeling a little bit left behind, you know, just because it wasn't wasn't something I ever excelled at. And I didn't really have the interest to um, spend enough time to kind of catch up to everybody and, and, and get there. Uh, but I found that I, I kind of had a natural interest and aptitude for music that kind of made sense to me. Um, you know, I did all those things, but didn't really like listen to music all that closely or, or actively until I got to, uh, you know, middle school, high school age. And that first kid you knew got a guitar. And that was like the coolest thing that happened all summer. Sure. You know, like, oh, that guy's got a guitar and he played a song on it. You know, it was just such a small thing, but it became cool and um, just kind of piqued my interest. And I really loved playing the piano. You know, I'd love doing the, the band thing and, and found a lot of, a lot of like-minded people there and, and friends. But picking up the guitar, it just made sense uh, to me in a way that other instruments didn't. Like it, it's very funny. I've, I've given lessons a couple times, like throughout my career, and I, I'll be the first to admit um, I'm not very good with beginners because to me, so many things with guitar are just like, well, of course, 
it's that way. Mm. Like it just seems so obvious. Sure. Yeah, of course that's how it works. So it's really hard for me to kind of break that down. But so I I got a guitar and and, um, my parents were very quick to say, because I was around that age, it was like, you know, Blink-182 and Green Day Mm. and and all those kind of pop punk bands were were big. My parents hated that music. They still do hate that music. Um, So they made a rule in the house that you can play as loud as you like, as long as you play stuff we like. <laughs> Which was like that was, that was a dangerous, a dangerous offer. Like they they wrote that blank check, and I I took that thing to the bank and cashed it. And I remember the the first thing I did. A good friend growing up, he played drums, and we were going to kind of be a band of sorts. And his dad, you know, had played a little bit of guitar, you know, growing up. Just kind of had picked it up. Didn't really play out anywhere or anything like that and he put on um a black sabbath record for us when i was like 13 or 14 and that was like whoa okay yeah yeah like that's that's so different from anything i've heard musically before and the guitar was just like so muscular and there was so much character and and it was so unique and it it was such a a voice it was like a voice that i heard that it was you know there was something inside of me that I wanted to express and wanted to, to say and, and wanted to make a, a racket that kind of expressed how I felt about the world and everything. That was like, yeah, that's it. Yeah. And that kind of started me down that, that rabbit hole of, you know, classic rock guitar players. So I, I was like a, a parlor trick for, for like my parents' parties for the longest time. Cause they got a huge kick out of, you know, all these like 50, 40, 50 some things got a kick out of like, oh, 13, 14 year old kid plays like Eric Clapton and Van Halen and, you know, all these bands that they grew up, you know, that those records came out when they were my age or yeah. a little bit older. So that, that was kind of the first thing that really turned me on. And I, I found um, to be really inspiring to me. And then it led to kind of getting gigs when I was really young playing in, in classic rock bands. Okay. Uh, okay. So know, that's, that's cool. I was curious. Um, so Pittsburgh. Did you grow up here? Yeah. I did. Okay. So that makes sense in terms of all the people doing sports and not a lot of people doing music, you know? Yeah. City yeah. of champions, <laughs> bruh. But uh, yeah. I think that's really funny uh, with your family and the way that they were like, oh, you can play music, but it needs to be stuff that we like. Because for a minute, I was like going to ask, like, I was kind of curious, like, what is it that your family likes? You know, but if it was still like classic rock and all that gnarly stuff and they were just annoyed by pop punk, I find that like hysterical. Like it was just so funny. Well, see, it's it's really funny now. The tables have turned a little bit um, because uh, like whenever I got into college, um, I got really into jazz music. And that was kind of the natural progression of like. You know, I started out with like, the, you know, your Black Sabbaths, your ACDCs, your Led Zeppelin, you know, all those kind of like blues based kind of 70s rock bands. And then, um, you know, started getting into like the Grateful Dead and things like that. And that was kind of just the natural progression of, hey, I want to instead of, you know, everything I play kind of being blues influenced, I want a little more like purple in there. You know, I want different colors to play with. So my parents love like Kenny G and smooth jazz. And that was always like, you know, like around the house, like, oh, we're having dinner. I'll put on like David Sanborn or something. And and those guys are all great players. Like 
don't take it the wrong way. But now I like scold them and I'm like, please, like if we're going to listen to jazz, like let's listen to real jazz, please. Like, not, <laughs> not, I, I jokingly call it music on the eights. It's like that, like Muzak that they play on like the weather channel. Uh-huh. So yeah. I'm like, Oh, music on the eights again. Really, uh-huh. <laughs> That's so funny. So yeah. with, you know, I was curious about, uh, this. So, do you think your parents, in hindsight, did you a favor by pushing you away from the pop punk stuff? Because there are still people are our age and older. Do like Blink One Eighty Two is still a band for better oh, or yeah. worse. And I can't imagine like how complicated it must be. I don't know, like getting older and continuing to make music like that. Like I'm really torn when I have this thought because mm-hmm. I feel like you know, anybody should be able to play whatever music they want. And if you're, you know, in your mid forties and you still like pop punk, like who am I to say that that's like wrong? It just feels so like undeniably adolescent to me. Yeah. So I like, like always like, yeah, I'm like always teetering this line. Like, you know, is it, should I just shut up? That's probably the answer. Like I should just shut up and let people be happy. I'm guessing. Yeah. It's, it's such a, to, to, to answer your original question. Yes. Absolutely. Um, Because it just opened me up to so many different things. And that's, that's one thing I give my parents a lot of credit for is, you know, they're not, they're not musos. They're not like these people who, you know, uh, you know, this is good music and this is bad music. Like they, they like what they like. And I think that's been really helpful for me as a musician and as a songwriter, you know, is, is kind of a sounding board, you know, like it's, it's awesome. My parents still come to a lot of my shows um, and love, you know, coming to check out the band, and and I've been really thankful they've liked almost all the bands I've been a part of, yeah. the music that we play, um, and and they always kind of preface comments like, "Well, I don't know anything about music, but this is what I think," and I'm like, "No, like you're the perfect person. Like you, you have no attachment. There's no prejudice going into it. Um, so just to get all those different things, you know, to listen to, um, you know." Uh, classic rock records to listen to smooth jazz to listen to um disco to listen to 60s and 50s like doo-wop and and am radio and all these all these different things uh definitely it 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 kind of brought me into the world of everything has value there's value to all kinds of music it's just um you know what mood are you in what what do you personally like and there's nothing wrong with liking what you like just you know, be open-minded to, to try it all and, and, and look for the good in it, not mm-hmm. just write it off because it's not, you know, technically impressive or because it wasn't made before the year 1983 or something. Sure. Crazy. Sure. You know? I, I think the most important thing with music is understanding that like, you know, this invokes a feeling in somebody like that's like a mm-hmm. music, you know, it's a communication between you and the listener. Right. Mm-hmm. And everybody, like kind of has their own experiences when it comes to music and like something that makes you feel like, wow, like I've never heard anything like this before. Like the first time you heard black Sabbath and that feeling that you got, right. There's going to be somebody that had that feeling the first time they listened to blink 182. It's, uh, it's, and like, you can't take that away from them because it's not, you know, fucking whatever his who's i can't god damn it why tony iomi i was like blanking i was like how come i'm not remembering this (laughs) man's name right now oh my god but uh yeah just because you know it's mark hoppus and not tony iomi or uh what's the other guy tom DeLong? 
Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> and it's totally fine. I think that's the other thing too, that like in life, I think this is a larger lesson for, for every facet of your life is it's okay to grow and it's okay for your thing, your, your perception of things to change. Like, um, you know, just like that. Like I, my parents weren't like jam band people, you know, they thought the Grateful Dead was like a heavy metal band until like one day I put on like Working Man's Dead and they're like, oh, what's this? And I'm like, this is a Grateful Dead. They're like, not at all what I expected that to sound like. Um, but, you know, I kind of like to me, like when I originally started jam bands were like, oh, they play for like 20 minutes and it's all nonsense and it doesn't make any sense. And I kind of felt similar with jazz whenever I first started out because I couldn't wrap my head around it. I, I couldn't appreciate the value there. And that doesn't mean I was wrong. Just at that time, it I didn't do it for me. Whereas, you know, Blink-182, and like, I still listen to some of those old Green Day records. And I'm like, damn, these are incredible rock records. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, and, and in that moment, you know, you can appreciate it, but it's okay to say like, this isn't everything anymore to me. It's just a thing that I enjoy. And now I also see the, the value in that. And, uh, and I think like, if you see us live, we do, you know, incorporate a lot of cover music. Uh, just because like a three, four hour bar gig or something like that, you know, they yeah. don't want to hear just the Tulo song. And I take a lot of pride that we play a lot of diverse music to try to like highlight that value that, Hey, here's, here's a song that like you kind of think of us as maybe one way, but I think all the elements of songs we love are in this song and maybe it's just packaged a little bit differently. Totally. Try to bring all those things together. I think that that is something that is really cool about artists such as yourself and the band that you've put together is the fact that I think sometimes if you are in a band and you start a pop punk band or you start a heavy Mm -hmm. metal band, you're not going to get those three, four hour gigs. It's not going to happen. You know what I mean? You're kind of, automatically pigeonholing yourself into playing, you know, small clubs, small caps, 20, 30 minute sets. And that's like Mm -hmm. the majority of your career is going to be doing that. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, like I come from, you know, I play in a death metal band. I've played in punk bands, you know, so that's my world. So I I know Mm -hmm. what it's like. And I'm always so envious of the people that are like, no, like we have a gig at like a brewery or somewhere decent where like we play for four hours. We're going to get probably some free drinks and free, you know, some free beer and stuff. And we're probably going to walk out of there with like a few hundred bucks, if not more, depending on where you're playing. It's like, that's a really good deal for like a working artist. And I think like, you know, it's so hard for people in like that punk scene to really thrive monetarily as they move forward. So I think not only musically did uh, your parents maybe do you a favor they weren't aware of. I think, you know, in the (laughs) long run, they've maybe helped you take a more sustainable path. Not that there's anything wrong with being unsustainable, you know, punk rock is cool but you know i think as we get older and we continue to do this because you know music is our passion the people that i tend to find that aren't bitter about this but in their 30s or older and still playing music are the people that have been able to find a way to monetize it and you know make it worthwhile for them to like okay like sure i'm not hanging out with the family this weekend because i got a gig but i'm actually working i am getting paid this yeah. isn't just you yeah know, me and, fucking and honestly around. that's i i would love to say like that was the master plan but like totally totally fell into that by accident and in my my attitude and i'm really thankful and so incredibly lucky that my band has the same attitude and like everything's just a challenge it's like how can we solve that problem you know, we get, we get these calls for sort of odd gigs sometimes and it's like, okay, 
what can we do to, to solve that? And, you know, speaking to the, the current moment we're in, I mean, that's, that's exactly the, the, the challenge is, I mean, every single curveball, and, and especially like that, like rock clubs basically saying, hey, you're not, you're not going to have a show in a rock club probably, yeah. probably for the rest of the year, yeah. maybe longer. Totally. You know, I don't know how long it's going to be, but to be able to, to adapt and, and to change, um, it, it really did. We kind of fell into that and, and noticed that, that, hey, here's a way to make this work that's not, you know, and not to take anything away from that, but it's not like playing like a half dozen house shows in a market to try to build a groundswell mm-hmm. that maybe one day we can go to a, a rock club and say like, Hey, I think I can get 25 people here. Yeah. Can you put it on a bill with four other bands? And, and, you know, maybe they'll, you know, over the course of the night, we'll have like 75 people here at mm-hmm. one time. And, it's, and thing. it's so hard to grow as an up and coming artist and, you know, being able to have that opportunity to play in front of a crowd at a restaurant or, again, a brewery, whatever, where there's going to yeah. be, you know, a couple hundred people in and out of there throughout the night. And you're playing for four hours instead of like, oh, this is my 20 minute set that I get to play in mm-hmm. front of the 15 people that might be here for this particular half hour. Because, like, you know, yeah. whenever you're starting up, like your friends will come out. But they get tired of it after a while yeah, and like, understandably absolutely. so, you know what I yeah. mean? Uh, I get well, it. And especially, especially if, you know, if you kind of are producing content on a typical kind of release cycle, you know, if you're kind of putting out a new, new album every, you know, 12 to 18 months or a new kind of collection of songs. Um, yeah. It's really hard, especially in that kind of short time frame. That's kind of why we adopted the, the jam band ethos a little bit because it makes every show unique totally. um you know and you don't know what songs you're going to hear you don't know if hey maybe last night we played this song for 12 minutes and tonight it's a three minute like get in get out and this other song that you know we did that way you know we kind of are flexible with it and it keeps us excited about it you know and interested in what we're doing and then we hope the audience as well that there's some variety so that you do get those repeat customers. The other I thing think that's really hard. Mm-hmm. The other thing that's really cool too, is once you have a certain catalog of music, you can like kind of play to the room. Like you can <laughs> feel like, you know, okay, like, you know, maybe there is more of a classic rock crowd here tonight, or maybe this yeah. is more of a, a jazzy or a jammy crowd. You can kind of just roll with it and just, you know, do your two, three, four hour set and just kick ass. Yeah. And we, we talk about, um, we, we talk about the concept of like building repertoire. Like I remember when I was applying to college, someone, someone told me this and, uh, I think it's sort of a, a good anecdote. You know, they said you should apply to every Ivy league school. Um, even if you have no intention of going to an Ivy league school, they said that's because to them, a lot of the shock factor is saying you got in, like you had the opportunity to go. Um, so they would say, you know, that, that's all you need. You could say, Oh, I, I didn't want to go for whatever reason. No, I, I didn't like the program or I didn't whatever, yeah. you know, but it, you know, you can kind of like drop that and it's really impressive and people keep that in their mind. Like, oh, wow. You got accepted. Uh, okay. You must be a pretty bright person or something. <laughs> and that we, we talk about that whenever we learn cover songs, it's like, you know, the, the power of whenever we're jamming to be able to like make a medley on the fly to like, hey, we all know like a verse and a chorus of this popular song by this band. Um, you know, if you kind of just like that, you feel that room out. Oh, okay, in the middle of this, instead of just like me like wanking on a guitar for 10 minutes, 
let's try to like medley into that. And we play a verse and a chorus of that popular song that someone requested or, or an artist that someone wanted to hear. And you get that same thing, even if you hadn't like prepared a whole like four and a half minute song by that artist that yeah. you play front to back and things like that. And those are all those kind of like little survival things that we picked up from touring that, you know, it's like, just keep these things in the back of your mind and, and be flexible and, and kind of heads up performance where you're ready for those yeah. audibles. Dude, we played this show one time with my metal band. Uh, mm-hmm. It was a bar gig in like a small suburb, not too, like a little outside of Pittsburgh. Wasn't in Pittsburgh, but not mm-hmm. far. Um, okay. And it was a wild place. The room was real wild. <laughs> the people there were cool. Everybody was into it. But it yeah. got this thing, you know, we played like, a, a long set for us, which is like 45 minutes, you know, that's, okay. that's, it's death metal. It's fast. You know, we're, we're playing four <laughs> hours worth of notes in 45 minutes, you know, yeah, the, yeah, the exactly. BPMs much, <laughs> much faster. And, yeah. uh, after we were done, like people were like, Oh, like that's it. And then people were trying to make requests and I was just like, mm-hmm. I felt so bad, but I was just like, we are not that. But like, I wish we were, you know, I wish yeah. we could just fucking play you smoke on the water right now, but it's not going <laughs> to happen. It's yeah. just not going to happen. But I think it's yeah. great to see artists that are, you know, taking advantage of that because definitely moving forward, that's going to be a huge thing. Huge. Yeah, I think and it's, it, and I think the, I think you're going to see, I mean, I, I don't, I don't have enough wherewithal of like the actual business. Of, of music to be able to predict and say something like very accurate that someone's going to listen to this podcast in like six months and be like, Oh wow, that was a really smart thing. you said." <laughs> but um, to me, I see, you know, I mean, you, you scroll through social media and you see all the posts by venues and venues we love working with um, that don't have, that aren't a brewery, aren't a restaurant that don't have things like takeout service or dine-in service or something that they can use to sustain themselves while music is is on the back burner and and i i mean i I just you know the optimist in me wants to believe everyone's going to be okay and you know we're all going to have like a big opening day celebration where everyone gets to open their doors again but i I think you're going to see some places close and and opportunities are going to go away so it's going to be on artists you know especially in that kind of diy you know undiscovered tier to, to be really creative about, you know, finding opportunities. Absolutely. I think that, you know, for the most part, I don't think a whole lot has changed for people operating on like a smaller scale. Uh, for touring artists, it's a whole another can of worms. I can't even begin to imagine what a nightmare that is. But, you know, I'm seeing all these big tours that are getting pushed back to next year. I think that's very optimistic. You know, I don't know. With the panic in the world right now, I can't imagine, like, seeing a band in a stadium a year from now. I hope I can. You know, I'm very optimistic when it comes to everything that's going on, but I'm only pessimistic in regards to people's reactions and getting back to things. I feel like even once it's a air quote, you know, safe to do so, I think a lot of people are going to be really paranoid about leaving and getting into doing things for a while. And I think businesses are going to be worried too, because, you know, liability is going to be a huge thing moving forward. I feel like nobody wants it to be their fault that somebody got sick. Right. And yeah, I think that we're absolutely. dealing with a lot of that right now. So. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's tough. Like we did, we had a really nice touring summer, you know, we put out that new record and we were really excited to, to get on the road and pump it and try to, you know, hit some new markets, hit some old markets that we, we get a lot of work in. 
to uh, say like, hey, you know, you've been asking for it. It's finally here. Here's here's new music. Yeah, uh, we should probably but, talk about that. You put out an album called Running Out of Time. I did. Yes, we did. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, uh, tell me a little bit about this. Yeah, so, um, you know, I, I started and, and kind of unceremoniously uh, put out my first record in, in 2015. And that was kind of like what we look at is like day one. Um, you know, we spent all this time making it. Um, and then, you know, started getting booked like crazy, which is awesome. Uh, you know, the first couple of years of the band, the, the phone didn't really stop ringing. Uh, so finally had some time to put some songs together and took some time away from touring and, and, uh, and, and made this record, which was nice. It's, um, I, somebody just did a, a write up about it and, it and it's always interesting. I think, um, I think the best art and not to say that mine is the best art by any means, <laughs> but, or, or like maybe the modicum of good art is that like, or good songs is that the artist and the listener kind of figures it out together. It's not just, you know, like I'm not coming down from the mountain with 10 commandments to say like, this is how the world is, you know, nor am I like leaving it so open-ended that there's nothing for the listener to sink their teeth into. Sure. But uh, we just did a, a write-up and, and uh, somebody did a write-up of it. They said, it's a road record. And I think that's accurate. I mean, this thing was written while we were learning how to tour and figuring out how to tour and, and all the stress that comes with that. You know, everybody kind of thinks about Friday or Saturday night when like we're in your town and we're partying with you, but you know, there's all the things like time away from family and having to manage expenses and getting sick and, you know, trying to balance all your other life and, and things uh, with that. And I think a lot of it came, came from those experiences and seeing other people who, you know, toured with uh, what they went through and, and kind of having all those road stories kind of reloaded my, my bank. And that's where a lot of those songs came from. Yeah. I think that, you know, a lot of people that aren't, musicians don't understand how much work goes into putting an album together. Yeah. It's a lot of work. So like it could be like, you know, you could be an artist that I hate, but if you get an album together, you will have like my infinite respect <laughs> because it is just so hard to do it, you know? And what, what is the main driving force for you now in terms of still continuing to want to go through the trouble of not only being in a band and playing shows, but trying to release a record and do all this press things and emailing idiots like me to talk to them on the internet about it? Like, what is that driving force that makes you still want to pursue this and just like this insanely complicated time that we're living in? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it, it is kind of funny. And, and to your point, my joke to people, you know, if they say, Oh, you're in a band. And I say, well, sort of really, I run a small business and get to play guitar. Sometimes <laughs> that's what I do. That's what a band is. Um, I, I just, I love great albums. You know, music for me has been, um, a cause for celebration. You know, it's been cathartic. It's been guiding. It's taught me about you know, the world I live in and how, how different people feel and, and view the world we're a part of, um, you know, it increasingly too, with just all the noise that social media and everything kind of put into your, your daily peripheral, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a well thought out statement on, on life. And, and, and my favorite songwriters, you know, talk about, uh, the human condition. And I, I love, 
I love getting everybody's different viewpoints on that. Um, and that, and that's like, that's my goal. Like at the end of the day, like whenever it's my time to go and be done, you know, if I made a truly great record, I'd feel, I'd feel satisfied. Like I've, I've played arenas to like tens of thousands of people for different things. I've played, you know, intimate club shows. I've opened up for my heroes. Um, and those are amazing experiences and I, I value those so much, but like, that's the one thing at the end of the day, if I wrote a great record that somebody said like, man, like this just like kicked me in the ass yeah, and like moved me that, that would be like, Hey, I, I did what I came here to do. Mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, we're in a really interesting time now with releasing music because albums are, I don't know, like some people say albums don't matter anymore and we're living in a in a singles generation and I don't mm-hmm. know. I I have a hard time keeping up with artists that I love when it's just like here's another song, here's a song. I'm always happy to hear like one or two new songs, but over time mm-hmm. I'm like, man, like I just want to hear an album. I love yeah. like sitting down and hearing something front to back because I'm a very active listener. I'm not a passive listener when it comes to music. And I want to hear like, you know, 30, 40 minutes of music, new music from somebody that I love or somebody that I've never heard of. I, I yeah. hate when I like these days, you'll find a lot of new artists and I'm like, wow, this is a great song. But it's like, it's the only song they have on Spotify. And I'm like, damn it. <laughs> I need more. more. Yeah. It's like there's two sides to that coin. Like every artist wants exactly that that predicament mm-hmm. they put you in where it's like, I'm, I'm craving, I'm actively wanting more. Yeah. So they hope you keep, keep you hooked. But for me, much like you, like just long form media is my preferred, my preferred way to, to, to experience things. Like I don't watch a lot of television and I think that's probably part of it. Like I enjoy listening to an album because I think you can make a, a broader statement or reading a novel or watching a movie or a, you know, a longer form piece where you, you can, you can touch on subtle nuances that like for me as someone who like looks at a single and says like, okay, if you want this to be popular, it's probably got to be like somewhere like two and a half to four and a half minutes Mm -hmm. and has to be like digestible enough that like people are going to, enough people are going to latch onto it. Um, I, you just don't have that same luxury to be able to explore things in such detail. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's not to say like I, I had somebody like send me like, hey, check out my new single, and it was like eight and a half minutes long, and like it was super cool, uh, but it's like, you know, I hope I hope that person realizes like there's no way this is going to be popular. Yeah, like 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 a Rolling Stone is revered because it is such an outlier, because it's so it makes absolutely no sense that a seven minute song is a is a number one hit. Well, there was probably a radio edit of it at some point in time. I think I'm that sure, yeah. uh, it's really interesting as you get into songwriting and self-producing and doing all of these things. I like From my personal experience, I started appreciating stuff that I never appreciated when I was younger as a result of just learning more about how songwriting works. And I'm curious if you had a similar experience, if there was any artists that maybe you had listened to or maybe didn't listen to throughout the years, but maybe in more recent years have grown an appreciation for just out of respect for them being a good songwriter or a good composer. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think that was like really the big sea change for me was, um, you know, growing up listening to classic rock, like a staple of classic rock is just these virtuosic vocalists like Robert Plant, like good God, you know, as now someone who actively is trying to sing and, and perform songs like I look like Led Zeppelin is my favorite band, but God, I would never want to cover any of their songs because okay. like, how do you, how do you do that justice? Fair, um, you know, enough. and those were all the bands I grew up with. So it was kind of, it was always intimidating, but then like getting uh, a little bit older and getting frustrated, just kind of being a guitarist for hire because like, you know, it, it is like, like everything you've heard about guitar players is a hundred percent true. Like we're ego freaking maniacs. Like <laughs> that's artists it, in general, dude. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and, and it's, it's tough. Um, you know, like I, I, I have like a, like a white collar job where I, I watch kind of people do business in a corporate setting. Okay. And it, it definitely, it, it got frustrating to me to watch people run a band, which again, like it's a small business and just make a lot of questionable decisions where it was like either done out of fear or insecurity or just lack of research or understanding. Um, so I kind of had that growing in me and then found people like, um, you know, like John Prine, who I love, you know, or, uh, you know, someone like Neil Young or, um, you know, like, unfortunately, like turned out to be a terrible monster, but like Ryan Adams records okay. were like yeah. really inspirational. It's like, these are regular guys. They have regular voices. And now my, my listening, um, you know, that has to be, that's like the, the number one thing for a song. Whereas it used to be like a cool guitar part or something would kind of hook me on a song it's got to be a good song. And that's why like, it, it'll be interesting. You know, we, we call ourselves a, a jam band um, in name, uh, but like the jam bands I love, you know, are ones that jammed on great songs. So like, I love Jerry Garcia and what he and Robert Hunter, the songs they wrote, whereas like Bob Weir songs, a lot of them, I'm like, meh, take or leave it, <laughs> sure. you know? And it's like, Hey, if it's a great song and like, like, uh, like we like the band fish. There's a lot of fish's music that does absolutely nothing for me, no matter how cool the jam is and how like far out <laughs> they go with it. Cause the, like the bass song is it, it to me is lacking, you know? And I know that's, there's a lot of people who are going to be like, Oh, you're out of your mind. You're crazy. You know, you're not a real jam head for saying that. Um, but now my, my takes definitely have changed to appreciate the song first and the production or the arrangement second. I think it goes back to that comment that I made earlier about music being a conversation between you and the audience. And mm -hmm. I think that, you know, it's important sometimes if you're on stage, you know, you want to communicate the music is a universal language, but you can definitely speak that language in a way that not everybody's going to understand universally. Like mm -hmm. there's so, and I think sometimes with jam bands, they can get very much in that. Like, you know, we're not, I don't know. I feel like you're, if you're a band and you're playing, you kind of have a job to entertain the crowd, right? Like mm -hmm. that's, that's, that's your, what you're there for. You're the entertainment. And I think mm -hmm. that sometimes people want to see a little bit of your selfishness on stage, but it can be a little bit much. And I think that that's what rubs me the wrong way when it comes to a lot of, uh, maybe that jam band stuff, or even like, you'll see it sometimes with even in the death metal world, there are people that mm -hmm. write music that is just incredibly selfish and it's just like, this is nothing but just like technical yeah. jambalaya and it doesn't taste good. 
Well, and this is to like recall back to your point. This is like a thing that I struggle with as a singer songwriter is there's also that balance of like how you present what you're doing. And I think a lot of like Americana roots, singer songwriter music does have that really conversational, really honest uh, ethos to it. Um, that's really hard to do at like a 500 cap room or, mm. you know, in a stadium or yeah. something like that. Like when you go to see the Rolling Stones at Heinz Field, like, or like Kenny Chesney or you too, or whoever you want to see fireworks. You want to see pyrotechnics. You want to see like all this crazy glitzy stuff. Like you want to see Bono and Mick Jagger be larger than life and sure. like running around without their shirt on and, and yelling and screaming. <laughs> yeah, and being yeah. this, like, you know, this, this character, you know, and then at the same time, it's like, okay, do I really want, like whenever then he sings me like wild horses, like how does, how do you change that to make it feel like the Rolling Stones are sitting like in front of you sing and he's singing wild horses to you. And, and it has that sincerity and that thing after we just went through like this giant, like bravado mm -hmm. of like, you know, sex, drugs and rock and roll and fireworks and explosions. And it's this like, I'm so freaking cool. Like how, how do you, how do you do that? And we struggle with that. And I think it's a really, and social media too is I think an extension. You know, how do you, how do you, how do you kind of, put your art together. Cause like to me now in the age of like Taylor Swift, like you can't, you can't pull the artist and the, and the artwork away anymore. Like the public has grown so enamored with this idea of like, everything is somewhat autobiographical and how does this relate to the artist and who's telling me this as opposed to like, you know, like these faceless kind yeah. of embodied songwriters, you know, who just like, these are great songs. We don't have the internet to know what they look like and what they do in their personal lives. Mm -hmm. I um, think it's it's a really it's a really difficult line to draw i think yeah i think that environment especially for upcoming artists is such a big deal and i've had this conversation before with people like okay if you want to be the next blink 182 right like you want to start a pop punk band mm -hmm. uh it's pretty easy to like find that community you play, you know, little fire halls, little clubs, and it's accessible, right? But, like, what happens if for some reason you want to be the next, like, Nickelback or, like, a big stadium yeah. rock band, right? Like, that mm -hmm. band can't play a small club, like, because you kind of need this larger-than-life loud presentation with, like, professional audio and lights in order to, like, really sell a stadium rock experience. So, yeah. it's like you're, like, setting the bar so much higher for yourself just coming in because otherwise it's, it looks cheap. Whereas, yeah. like, if you're a punk band, the whole aesthetic is to look cheap. And if you're playing a place that's too nice, it doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. And then, like, it ties into the social media, too, because sometimes... Like, say you're somebody that, you know, makes music that caters to a lot of people that aren't interested in being on Instagram. How do you promote your music on Instagram? Mm -hmm. It's weird. Yeah, that's like what that's one big thing we struggle with, too, is, you know, the removing the gatekeepers is great because it allows like someone like me or you to make a record and put it out in the world. And it's just as easily available as Beyonce's record or the Rolling Stones or whoever you, you, someone, someone has to make the same amount of clicks on a computer or a phone to listen to your record as, as the biggest stars in the world. But with that comes all that segmenting of, you know, there's just so much noise and so many places to get music. It's not like, 
you just listen to AM radio and, and they play whatever, you know, the gatekeepers decided will be popular yeah. and, and will sell. And that's how you find out about music. So that's a really big struggle. And, uh, and, and to call back to your, to your earlier point, it's, it's imperative um, for local bands to kind of escape that perception of being a local band. Like that's a really hard thing to do. I know a lot of people are like, for us, like, oh, you're a local band. And then it ends there. So like, they're not willing to, you know, kind of see the vision or, or maybe pay the higher ticket price or to, to help you kind of self promote or something. Cause it's like, oh, you're just a local band. Um, you know, yeah. and how do you kind of do that perception? I mean, that's one of the big reasons we tour is like right off the bat when you say like, yeah, we play in over a dozen States every year. People are like, Oh, okay. You're like a touring band. You're like a real band, not a local band. And it's like, not really. We're the same guys. We still play the same songs and we have the same show and play the same kinds of venues. But now like our perception has kind of allowed you to maybe think beyond yeah. just we're guys in your backyard. The interesting thing with that, mentality just when it comes to the average person not the musician but we'll say like the fan or the the an average crowd member it always is interesting to me that you know okay you know local music or local art has no value but local sports and local food has value you know i think that there's a weird correlation between like the local restaurant industry and the local music scene i mean in in a lot of ways a lot of bands and performers such as yourself you know you know thrive off of that industry you know where like you may be playing a place where you know you have 200 people in there that are willing to pay eight dollars for glasses of beer but Mm -hmm. like eight dollars for your cds asking too much yeah, it's a really well, strange concept. It, but I mean, there are people yeah. that are willing to definitely, Absolutely. you know, participate and support local arts. But as a whole, I feel like the same mentality. It's like, why would you go to a local restaurant and spend forty bucks on, you know, uh, lasagna when you could go to the Olive Garden and spend ten? Oh, because you know this is locally prepared and it's something special and it's in my neighborhood and I'm supporting you know the neighborhood. Yeah. It's like, well, why not do that with art too? <laughs> yeah, no, that's a that's a great analogy. And like the the one thing that that we always um, or like I think about as a songwriter, like to me, like we talked about like selfish songs or selfish records, like like to me as an unknown artist, like I really like mopey like breakup record it's like a luxury you get once people have like gotten into you and that's purely because of that like you know especially as like an opening band or like a band on a bill on like a friday or saturday night like people want to get really charged up unless it's like made very clear like this is going to be like four people who want like really intense you know emotional singer-songwriter music um you know, you have to kind of keep that accessibility element to kind of bring them in and, uh, and try to get them involved in, in what you're doing. And, and just the, the reality of like, unless you are a, a diehard music fan, like, like for instance, I, I love sports. I'm a, I would call myself a sports fan, but like, I won't watch a game unless there's a team that I really am invested in. Sure. You know? And, and I think the same, you know, for a lot of people, there are people who like music, but aren't maybe as open to like 
reaching out to like find something new where it's like, Oh, my favorite bands come around a couple times every year. And that's kind of like where I'm comfortable with, with music. Um, I think it's really important for local artists to try to find those ways to, to bring people in to, to say, Hey, I, th- here's some of what you like, yeah. you know, mixed in and, and then here's a taste of what we'd like. And then you hope that, that you become part of that. It goes back to the restaurant thing. You know what I mean? Like, local Mm -hmm. restaurants are able to get people coming back because they have a presentation that's nice. They have a menu that has a lot of variety, a little something for everybody, right? You know, like it could be a specialized restaurant. Like you could be a specialized band. You could be a heavy metal band, but if your Mm -hmm. style of music that you play is able to offer something for people that like all different facets of heavy metal music or Americana or classic rock, whatever, like you're going to get people coming back to see you play more and Mm -hmm. more. And I think that going into the point that you had made before about bands, you know, labeling themselves like, Oh, oh, we're a local band. I totally get where you're coming from with that. And I think that the biggest problem that a lot of bands have is not necessarily calling themselves local bands, but committing to too many things locally that they're not Mm -hmm. able to actually go do anything. You know, it's like, okay, well, you know, we've, we're a local band and we've taken a show on, every other weekend in Pittsburgh for the next two and a half months. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's cool. You have gigs, but now you can't do anything because you've made these commitments and like, you know, you're agreeing to sell 25 tickets for this show and another 15 for this one. It's like, you're never going to get out of this city. It's like, sure. You're playing gigs, but you might be better off not doing that and focusing on getting stuff out of town but i know that it it can be frightening for a lot of people and there are just artists too that just like genuinely don't want to go on the road especially some bands that are maybe a little older and over it and they just kind of want to you know play gigs to play gigs but like yeah that also bugs me too because it's like there's a lot of hungry talent in the city and Mm -hmm. it always annoys me when like you'll see a band on a bill that you could tell that like you know they show up a little late they leave a little early they don't have any merchandise for sale they're not super personable and it's like why are you here why would you <laughs> load up your cars like load up all yeah. your your f- fucking kia souls and nissans <laughs> and all your you know your crappy cars that you have with all of your gear and drive it across town to like do something that you barely want to do. Like if you're going to play a show, I don't care if it's 10 minutes from your house, you should be there, you know, on time, be professional, have a presence, have, even if you just have some stickers, like what's the point of playing the show? If you're not going to try to grow and like expand, even if you just get one new fan that week, like that's worth it. It's better than just like, being a grump and that's something that like i've seen a lot of bands do and i'm hoping that this quarantine stuff and this covid crap i'm hoping that it kind of like pushes some of those like fair weather bands out i hope that they're done and when we get back there's bands that are really hungry and bands that are like that deserve the stage time honestly that are working hard i hope that they're the bands that get the playlist and i'm hoping that promoters are a little bit more I don't know. Like, I just hope they pay more attention to the bands that are playing and who they're asking to play shows and just like really, you know, give these people that have been working hard and 
just actually have something to offer people, you know? So that's another yeah. problem too, when it comes to local shows is sometimes you have promoters that don't really curate the show. They're just happy to have whoever on the show, anybody that can play anybody that can maybe sell the tickets or anybody that could fit the bill. We just have time slots. We don't care who plays this. And then, okay, well you get one or two bands on the bill taking up an hour of time that mm-hmm. could care less about being there. Don't engage with the crowd. The crowd's yeah. not into it. And now the crowd has a fair weather response to what local music is because the majority yeah. of those people aren't local music followers. They're just, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they're there to have some drinks or some food or just to like see their other friends band. And if, yeah. I don't know, it's just like, there's always an opportunity if you're on a stage to make new fans and like, even if you feel like you're out of your element or for some reason you feel like you're playing a stage that's like, Oh, we shouldn't be playing here. We're too cool for this. Like whatever dumb thought is in your head. It's like, well, you're here now and there are people in this room. So you should probably try to make a good impression. Otherwise you're really wasting your time. Yeah, absolutely. And I know we do um, like we have, you know, an annual you know, meeting for the business to like go over and, and uh, this is like, like I'm a huge baseball fan. And by extension, I'm a huge statistics fan. So like I take all these stats. Yeah, it's like my my inner nerd coming out. I take all these stats on all the opportunities we get, like all the opportunities I even send away for to just try to like put some graphs together and understand like what did we actually do this year? Like what what worked for us and what do we need to improve on? You know, and things like that. Like it's easy. There, there are a couple, you know, clubs that we kind of joke about that we play where, you know, the pay is really good. So that's a reason to go do it and we keep doing it for that. But then we get frustrated about, um, well, why aren't we seeing like repeat customers? Why aren't, why aren't like our social media analytics or like our, our streaming analytics, like in those markets, you know, why aren't we seeing things go up, you know, after we're there and seemingly have good responses, you know, and, and, and that's always the challenge is to keep, keep trying to be creative and to not, not kind of rest on your laurels. Like I always remind the band whenever we go into a place, even if we've been there before, I say, just remember we're nobody and we're entitled to nothing. Absolutely. Like they, they could just as easily have yeah. another band here. Yeah. Instead it, of us. it is. Like, it's so difficult, but humbling to just remember yeah. like, dude, like there are so many people in the world. There are so many bands. And I just try to think about like how I personally engage with music. Like, Iron Maiden is probably my favorite band of all time. I've loved them since I was a kid. I probably haven't listened to an Iron Maiden album in like a couple years easily. Mm -hmm. But like, I know those songs so well that like I could think about, you know, Aces High or Two Minutes to Midnight in my head right now. And I could play the whole goddamn song and air Mm -hmm. guitar, the whole everything without even needing to listen to it just because it's like a part of my DNA at this point. Yeah. So like sometimes just because, you know, people aren't necessarily engaging with your stuff on like a daily or a weekly basis, it doesn't mean that like you aren't a part of their you know, a part of their memory and a part of something that they really appreciate. And the other thing too, going back to food again, you know what I mean? It's like, I could Mm -hmm. eat the best damn plate of food that I've had in months, but once I'm full, I'm full. And then I'm moving on to the next thing. You know what I mean? I'm not just like thinking about that food all day or just like constantly going back to eat more. It's like, no, I ate it. I'm full. Now I got other stuff to do, especially when like you're making music that caters to like an older demographic. Like if you're making music that is like geared towards teenagers that have nothing else better to do, but listen to music 24 seven, then sure. You know, maybe you can really 
get yeah. a little bit more bent because like you know people aren't streaming your stuff like crazy but like you know that's like that's a different thing you know if your demographic is people that are your age or maybe a little younger or older that you know are doing projects around the house or working yeah. or taking care of family stuff it's like they're not going to be listening to your music all the time no it's tough <laughs> and, and that's what it's like it's kind of a again it's a double-edged sword in that we get such powerful tools as independent artists now but promoters also get those same tools to quantify us and qualify us mm. Yeah, um, and that's hard. You know, whenever like somebody looks at your Instagram and and like in, before they even listen to like a note you've played, they look at how many followers do you have, how many streams did you get on Spotify this month, how many streams has your top track got? Sure, you know things like that. Where like again, like you're looking at such a subjective thing. Like, do I like this band? Do I think they fit the vibe of my club? And and are they going to be a good match on this bill? Do I think people in this area respond to that kind of music really well? And therefore, I think this is a, a good partnership. Like before any of that, like this crossed your mind, just like uh, less than a thousand followers uh, next. Yeah, you know? sure. And they, you know, and they, they flip up and it's like, man, like what a difficult thing. But you're you're 100% right. And I think about how I listen to music. I mean, I'm, I'm you know, you, you want people to do this, but at the same time, I'm like you, I got, I've got stuff to do. I've, you know, I, I listen to a podcast maybe, or I, I listen to sports talk sometimes if yeah. I want, you know, to hear that content. It's just like, I can't be, I can't be a music sponge 24 seven. No. Um, you know, especially when it's like such a big part of your life, you know, sometimes it's nice to walk away and come, come at it with a fresh set of pants oh, yeah. and ears. Dude, if I spend, so fuck, <laughs> if I spend like, you know, six, seven hours, behind me whoa i hit this mic if i spend six seven hours behind me you know working on mixes and things like that as soon as i'm done the last thing i want to do is like listen to music yeah i feel like it's like an unfortunate part of like what i yeah. do you know it's kind of like uh whenever you again with the restaurant thing you know what i mean like yeah why there's so many like skinny chefs i don't know like everybody that i know that works in a kitchen is like bone thing and it's like just like i don't know we just like smoke cigarettes we're tired of eating food <laughs> it's just like you get sick of it and it's like and if yeah. they are eating it could be like this really nice restaurant but they're like back there with like jimmy john sandwiches and stuff just because like they just like if we are gonna eat we just want like some junk you yeah. know you just kind of yeah, like get something, in, something that's new yeah. yeah you just get exhausted i think it's like a an unfortunate side effect of like anything that you do whatever your job is or whatever you spend your time doing, whenever you have yeah. an opportunity to not be around it, you take it. But you know, with that being said, I still listen to a lot of music and I still love music yeah. to death, but it's again, there's only so much I could take in every day and the Absolutely. amount of new content that gets put out on a daily basis versus what I can intake is staggering. Yeah. It's there's, there's no way I can keep up. So I just need to make sure that I'm happy and I don't know, I'm making music. I, I just try to like every day, as long as I did something like, I don't know, like, okay, I, I, I did, I worked on a couple mixes and I got some stuff done. Like I mixed some guitars and bass in a track that wasn't mixed yesterday. Cool. Mm -hmm. That's good. Yeah. I hope I do some more, but you know what? Yesterday those weren't mixed and yesterday this podcast wasn't recorded. So I'm doing stuff, you know, I'm not spending every hour of my day just like, stressing trying to be productive just get some stuff done make sure yeah. you take care of the things you need to do do a little bit of what you need to do a little bit of what you want to do and a little bit of nothing that's like the 
That's the happy. That's the the, the, the tripod. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, like you talked about that. Like that's been the best part about this. Like trying to be the optimist about the situation we're in, and and having been stuck in our houses and and continue to be. Um, you know, coming back to like how I mean, touring is it's grueling, and especially like we were trying to do it. Um, you know, not that I think we won't go back to that whenever we're able to, but it was really refreshing to kind of like get a, like a hard stop and just, you know, kind of take a, take a survey of the surrounding. And it was like, you know, man, we would have done this again for another year. And like in that time, like I wrote our next record, you know, once we're ready to kind of go back into the studio after this cycle is over and and we feel like we've kind of milked it for what it's worth. Um, you know, I, I would have never had that time, nor would I have had the energy, even if I did have the time, because I would have spent all my time, you know, trip planning and catching up on chores that I missed while I was on the road touring and catching up on sleep and trying to figure out, you know, where we're going to be next weekend and, and doing all the accounting and, and everything else that's that's involved with that. Um, like, what a great thing to kind of you know, mix it up. Like whenever you go to the gym, they talk about how you got to kind of mix up all the different muscle groups you work on. Mm. Um, you know, not just doing the same thing day after day after day for your body. And I kind of, I kind of felt like that was a lesson I needed to learn. And, and coronavirus, uh, thankfully taught me it that, you know, maybe we should, instead of just like 12 months a year, just like tour, 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 like crazy. Um, you know, take, take some time to work on new music, take some time to, maybe try, you know, doing some live streaming yeah. or trying to connect with people in different ways and just keep us fresh, keep us from getting burnt out. You know, I know it's, it's kind of like a joke, but like, you know, touring season for us kind of ends right around like Halloween and it's been kind of getting later and later every year, closer to Thanksgiving. By the end of it, I mean, you're like a well-polished machine, you know, you've just played like, you know, a whole bunch of shows all year long, you know, the songs like the back of your hand, but uh, may- maybe it'd be good to, to refresh a little bit. So there's not that burnout period so that we don't end up like that band you described where they're there. And like, we're just so like on autopilot. It doesn't, it doesn't seem like we're really being genuine with what we're doing. That's the funny thing too, that I think a lot of people don't take the time to realize that like when you're not operating on this big level, like, you know, you're not most like touring bands, like the big ones, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? They, they they do like, you know what, like a couple months every couple years. Yeah. But people that are lower, it's like, oh, you know, we're going out of town every other weekend for six years straight trying yeah. to make this work. And it's like, you know, even the, the most successful artists, they actually have time to take breaks and spend time with families and they do things in different chunks because that's just how it's structured mm-hmm. out. And it's like, I understand yeah. that, like, you know, we're not operating on the same touring schedule. We don't have the same luxuries. But, like, you have to understand, I think, as an independent artist, like, you know, this happened with me and our band because it was like, this is the first break that we've taken since we started four years ago, really. You know what I mean? Like we're not on some nonstop touring schedule, but it's like every week yep. rehearsal, every week probably a mm-hmm. show, or we're shooting a video, or we're, it's constantly. But now yeah, it's like same, nothing, same for us. and it's like okay, yeah. wow, like this is nuts. And honestly, like looking at like some of the gigs that we lost and things like that, I would say a large majority of them, I was like, I really don't care that we're not playing this show. Yeah, I I love every chance to play, but it it has like that's the other thing. Like as we kind of look at the schedule, 
you know, I, I have to make all those decisions about, you know, is going out, even if that venue says, Hey, we're still going to have you this summer. Is, is it really worth it? And, you know, it's kind of a different kind of risk analysis. And, th- and these are, these are the things that like my heart goes out to any small business trying to operate right now, because that's such a hard decision. And there's so comparatively to the information you need to make that decision. There's so little available. Um, it's really hard, but it, it does. It kind of makes you think about what, what did we do there last time? How many times have we been there? Like what's, what's the crowd like, you know, what's involved to get there? Um, you know, what, what do we think and, and to be really critical about it. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm always big on to our group, you know, preaching work smart, not hard. Totally. I mean, you should still work hard, but, but there were times, you know, and like trying to make this record, you know, like we, we, it was kind of a joke a little bit calling it running out of time because it, it really was. I mean, we were like so far into this thing and still hadn't put out new music. You could tell people were like, dude, I, I'm tired of hearing the CD. <laughs> you, you know, we sure. need new music. It's time. We want it. We're ready. Mm-hmm. Um, but the amount of pressure to kind of balance that kind of touring schedule to have to make this album twice because we botched the first one, um, you know, uh, to keep up with our families and our, our jobs and our lives. And, and then, like, that's the other, like, kicker that people don't really think about is, like, while you're still playing the dates you're playing, is like a band like us. Like I'm booking out the next year already. So you're booking, you're touring, you're recording, yeah. you're writing, you're, you're rehearsing, you're trying to do all this at once. And I mean, it, it was grueling. It I, was absolutely grueling. And, uh, and again, I, I'm, I'm hopeful that, you know, we can kind of learn from the break that, Hey, that that's maybe not a normal way to operate. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> like you, yeah, it's weird. It's like, I think that there's going to be definitely uh, a reevaluation of my priorities as we move forward, uh, the things that I decide to make time for and the things that I just decide to cut out in my life, there needs to be some things because like I do a lot. I work like crazy on a bunch of different projects and it's always like, you know, but it involves a ton of planning and a lot of like, you know, most of the time people are like, how did you do so much this week? Like, you know, you put out this song and there's these two videos and all this. I'm like, I, all that stuff was, we, did that like last month or like, you know, Mm -hmm. I recorded that song three months ago and it took me, you know, fucking seven weeks to mix it because like I only had like, you know, 45 minutes, like every other day to work on it. So like once you get the ball rolling, you know, like talking about like, Oh, like you're recording and then you got tour dates and all those things. It could seem like kind of crazy and like to the outsider looking in, but for you, it's like, no, like, we wrote these songs maybe two and a half years ago and we're yeah. just getting released now because it just takes fucking forever Ever. to, yeah. to make these things happen. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm curious about, you had mentioned that, you know, you recorded this album twice and you said you, yeah. you botched the first one. Like what would be yeah. like, just like the quick summary on like, you know, why that happened? Like what, 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 what went wrong? Um, you know, we, uh, we, we were in a really good position, uh, going into recording, having toured like crazy and had a lot of nice opportunities that, that paid us pretty well to do it. So, you know, the band fund was ready to support it. So we went for a, a pretty posh studio and, and, a, and a really respected producer to do it. And, um, honestly, I think we got really intimidated by it mm. to be honest. Like I, I know me personally, 
Um, and in the past jobs I worked for both like as an artist and as a session guitarist, I'll do that from time to time. It's had a really vocal and strong producer on board. And it's like, Hey, you're the producer. Like you, you're doing the thing. Yeah. You know, like tell me what, you know, you have feedback. I respect your feedback. Like that person hired you or I hired you to be the producer. Um, and I think I, I, I got really intimidated by it. Um, and maybe just was un you know, unconfident about decisions I made personally about, about the process. Um, you know, not, you know, definitely not studio's fault, definitely not the producer's fault. You know, just sometimes you put a team together and it, you know, it's not the right team for that project. Sure. I think that was it. I, whereas, you know, kind of the, the other reason that was kind of interesting too, is, um, you know, through that process, we were losing our, our keyboard player at the time. And, uh, I, th- I think it, I think it was tough, you know, for, for everyone to be really confident about what we were doing with the immediate future being so uncertain, mm-hmm. you know, making this record that featured a lot of keyboards and pianos and, and that person's walking out the door. Um, I think it was really hard to feel good about what we did there uh, as a result of that. So kind of going for it on the redo, we, you know, there are no keyboards on it. It's just guitar, bass, and drums, and we put a crap ton of guitars on it, which was awesome. <laughs> I got to play guitar here in the studio, and I, I had a ball. Um, yeah. And and chose to to self produce the the kind of redo, and um, you know, I, I think it it paid off. I mean, we 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 are we're we're truly a, a, a DIY setup, and uh, so far it's it's led us in the right direction you know i've definitely made a ton of mistakes along the way and i learned from mistakes so that's good and bad but uh yeah i think i think we kind of we kind of went into it thinking we were going to have a certain experience and and the reality of that you know was very different from what it was and i think it caught us off guard as to like oh this is what this way of working is like and just wasn't wasn't how i was really comfortable doing it and and, uh, you know, saw it through to the end, but at the end of the day, I was just like, Hey, I think we yeah. kind of missed it I've, for, for a myriad of reasons. I've had friends who have done similar things where they go out of state, they work with, you know, somebody that is well known in their respected mm-hmm. genre and it just doesn't click, you know, it's a, yeah. it's a crazy combination of things. I think that, um, a lot of times, you know, just because like, say you're a band that sounds like Weezer, just mm-hmm. because you go into the studio with somebody that worked on a Weezer album doesn't mean that your album's going to sound like Weezer. I feel like, yeah. you know, when it comes to production, like, it's like, you're almost like, you need to find somebody that can be that fourth, fifth, sixth member of the band. Yeah. Somebody that actually is interested in taking the project further. And this isn't just like a job, you know what I mean? This isn't like, and sometimes when you're going into those situations and like you're hiring a producer to work with you, um, it just doesn't click. And yeah. And it's, it's the same with band members too. I mean, we've had, um, you know, it, it hasn't been the same cast of characters in Tim Vitula band, you know, throughout our run. Um, and that, you know, that's to be expected with this kind of project, certainly. You know, I wouldn't call it a revolving door, but, uh, you know, some work out better than others. And that's just, that's the reality of it. And and those, those people that didn't work out, they're amazing players, you know. 
they <laughs> all of them every last yeah. one of them is wicked talented but for one reason or another it's just like hey that particular team either had different goals had different uh ways of being motivated that that you know weren't um weren't weren't part of our kind of day-to-day and it yeah. just doesn't work and, they, and there's no hard feelings about that there's no like because it didn't work you're bad or it's or anything it's just yeah it's important to have good have the right people mm-hmm. not necessarily the best people yeah it's hard i think sometimes whenever you have this th- this is you your songs your band and while i'm sure the people that you have playing with you contribute ideas to the songs and in the studio and things like that it's still your thing and you know i in my personal experience with uh doing solo music and having a band as well um you know you always have band members that are in other projects at the Mm -hmm. end so sometimes it's just like you're not it's like they enjoy playing in the band, but you're not necessarily a priority. So it can be kind of difficult sometimes, like say you have a drummer that's in two other bands and it's just like, okay, mm-hmm. well now we can't do these gigs because your other, your actual band has a gig that day. Or like sometimes like people just kind of get burnt out on just like playing like, Oh, like this song is written and I just need you to kind of play it live. Yeah. Not everybody wants to do that. So, and I totally yeah. get it. Yeah, it's it's such an important thing. Uh, again, like something I learned from just being a sideman for years and years. Um, I mean, like number one is is clear communication. And like for me, anytime someone, anytime we're going to bring someone into the band, you know, I sit down with them or have a phone call with them and and kind of go through like this is how we do business. Like this is how you should expect business to run. Mm. You know, if you have a problem with any of that, let me know now. We can talk about it. Um, but, but this is how it's going to go. And, you know, there are places we can flex and try to accommodate you if, if you have an issue, you know, and also, um, you know, that's like the big thing I fight is as a, as an original project, there's not a lot of money in that. Um, you know, some of the guys, like whenever we have an off weekend may pick up like a cover band gig you know, for like a fill in, like, Hey, yeah. come play like 30, like Leonard Skinner and Guns N' Roses songs at this bar or whatever. And they're probably uh, getting paid. Yeah. And they walk out <laughs> with that fat stack of cash. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've never given them that fat stack of cash or not, not Dude. right now. I'm not, you know? And so that's really hard, like to keep people's motivation, especially like people who are doing this, like this is their all it's really hard. Um, so like for me as an original artist, you have to give people, uh, ownership. Yeah. If you're not going to give them money, you you have to give them ownership in the project. And that's why I'm always like the demos I send to the band are just me and acoustic guitar. Mm -hmm. And it's like, Hey, you're the band. Like I trust you guys to be the band because like, um, you know, it's a, it's a foolish thing for me to say like, Hey, uh, like Brent McConnell or drummer. Hey Brent, I want you to play like, uh, John Bonham on this record. Like he's, it's always going to sound like an imitation of John Bonham. Sure you know, his best is going to be playing as Brent McConnell or David Fix, our bassist. Hey, I want you to play like uh, Pino Palladino on this record. Again, it's going to be like a cheap imitation. You know, it's, you're always going to get the best if you allow people to be themselves. And again, we talk about like hiring the right people. Yeah. You know, making sure you have people who understand the vision because you've hopefully communicated it to them clearly and agree with the the vision and Mm -hmm. think that they can add to the vision. You know, not hiring the guy like the the classic this was always in cover bands where like you hire a guy who knows how to play in like a classic rock band but he really just likes like pearl jam and nirvana 
sure. you know, and wants to play like grunge music. And it's like, I love those bands, but that's not what this band is. Sure. You know, or like the, the guy who like the guitarist who like is a Stevie Ray Vaughan disciple playing in a, in a hard rock band and everything turns into like Texas blues. It's like, Hey, I appreciate that. That's your passion and that's how you express yourself, but that's not what this band is. And it's, you know, it's tough to, it, it's tough to force people to kind of, unless there's a natural curiosity. Um, like I try to take gigs doing the slide guitar stuff now, cause I have a really natural curiosity to get better at that and to learn that and develop that language. Um, but like you asked me to like, you know, like go play bass in a band. Yeah. Could I do it? But am I going to enjoy it? No, <laughs> totally. You know, totally. So, so that's, it's really important. And that's, that's kind of how I, I try to solve that. And so far, you know, hopefully uh, it's worked for me. It seems like everything's working for you pretty all right. You know, again, running out of time, it's available now. You just released it. What? A couple weeks ago, right? End of June. Yeah. End of June. Yeah. 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 We appreciate everybody who's uh, streamed it. And uh, if you want, like we have a bunch of physical merch that like we have these cool stickers Wow. and t-shirts and everything. <laughs> uh, you can check it out on our website too. Like while we're not touring, that's always a huge, huge help yeah. for us. Why don't you tell people about the website? Where can people find you guys? Yeah. So it's timvitulo.com. And I'm sure if they're like streaming this, they can figure out how to spell that. Mm -hmm. B-I-T-U-L-L-O. Um, official TVB on uh, Instagram and, and Facebook. Official TV band on Twitter. Uh, you can check us out there. And uh, you know Spotify, Apple Music, uh, Google Play, Amazon Music, all that, all that good stuff. Uh, our YouTube as well has some fun things on there, some live performances um, from over the years. Uh, but head to the website. We have a merch page, you know, the tour page, which... Yeah. Uh, I feel like that's been like bad news city. <laughs> yeah, totally. But you can see all the places we're supposed to be in. <laughs> I really, you have and, some, uh, stay posted. You have some great looking merch. All the stuff, all the stuff looks awesome. I have to give a shout out. Uh, the guy's name is Paul Haggerty, uh, H A G G E R T Y. Yeah. Uh, he, he helped us do all our rebrand stuff and, and did all those logos. And man, he's like, he's a, like rock star graphic designer. So if you're a band and and do it, and he, his passion is like retro album covers, yeah, and things. So we had we had like so much simpatico about all these great designs and artists we loved. Uh, if you're a band, definitely uh, hit him up. Yeah, this um, stuff is great. I'm a bit of a, a graphic design nerd, and uh, that's you know my part of my day job is that I do that sort of stuff, and I really love like right. all of the. Um, all of the fonts and like the color choices and the placement on it. It's just like really, really cool and clean. And like when I like listen to your band, like your visual representation is like matched really well. Like, you know, like Thanks. this, yeah. this art, you. you know, sound looks like how your band sounds. And I think that that's a difficult thing to do, but uh, yeah, yeah, knocked it out of the park. So shout out, shout outs to that artist. That's awesome. That is yeah, super Paul cool. Haggerty. Give him a call. Yeah, Paul Haggerty, shout outs. And, you know, with all that being said, uh, probably going to wrap this up and then do an outro. And then that'll be it. I'll let you go about your Sunday, my friend. Cool. Cool, man. Yeah, cool. thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Thanks for taking the time. It was good to meet you. And that is all, folks. One more time, Tim Vitulo. Thanks for being here. I'll be back again in a couple days with another episode. Same time, same place, same channel. You know the drill. My name is Sykes. 
Start the Beat 2020. Woo, woo. Thanks for listening. And we are done. Thank you, my friend. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, man. This is a blast. Dude, you got it. This will be up in a couple weeks. I'll email you. I'll let you know okay. when it's going up. Right All right. On. Cool. cool. And, uh,